My name is Father Mike Delaney and I'm the parish priest of the Kingston Channel Catholic Parish in the Archdiocese of Hobart. This is my homily for the third Sunday of Lent. We're in the fourth week of the message series called Seriously God? Making Sense When Life Doesn't Make Sense. We're looking at some of the challenges that can become roadblocks to developing a relationship with God. These are obstacles that often keep people from taking God seriously or developing faith and trust in God. We hope that this series might open you up to a greater understanding of these issues and what God is doing in your life. If we choose to lean into these problems or look beneath the surface of these issues instead of avoiding them, we hope that you come to a greater appreciation of who God is and what he is doing in our lives and in our world. It's a gap in our understanding about God that can actually draw us closer to him. Two weeks ago we looked at how it to make sense of it when God says no. Jesus showed us that God's no's are to help us live in true freedom. Freedom from being enslaved to our own desires, to an evil lifestyle and the opinions and the whims of other people. Last week we looked at when God seems to let us down and not fulfill his promises to us. We looked at changing our question from why me to what are you teaching me about you God? We know God will work in his own timing. Today we're looking at what, why God seems to allow the wrong people to be in charge. Why does God allow corrupt people to gain power? How does God allow people who abuse their power to have seats of authority? Why does he allow incompetent people to be in charge? It's not just about politics either. You've probably seen it up close and personal. You might have wondered how God allows a teacher or principal to stay in their position of authority when they should have retired long ago. Or maybe it's a coach whose child gets all the playing time, even though she isn't any good, while your child sits on the bench. These people are drunk with power and you wish they would move on. It could be a problem with work. Your boss doesn't seem to listen to anyone. Or you have seen how the senior leadership of your company is arrogant and is driving away all the good people from your company and you wonder when it's going to catch up with you. And then there's the church. Of all places we would think God would make sure there were good leaders, it's here. So how does God allow people who abuse their authority to stay in power in the church? We can look around and see poor church leaders and wonder why God doesn't do something. And this isn't a new problem. During the reign of Napoleon, he told the Pope that he would destroy his church. The Pope responded, If 1800 years of clergy hasn't done it, then how can you hope to succeed? God's people dealing with the wrong leaders in charge is a theme and a question that occurs repeatedly throughout the Bible. We see it clearly in many different passages of scripture, but especially in the one we read from the book of Exodus today and the story of Moses. We're going to look at a passage from the call of Moses and see God's attitude when wrong people are in charge. The name Moses means drawn from water. 
The Egyptian pharaoh had become jealous of the Israelites who lived in Egypt. They had the best land, and so he took the land from them and enslaved them. And while the Israelites were enslaved, they still continued to grow in number. Now the pharaoh became nervous that they would join their enemies and would rebel against him. He ordered that all Israelite male children were to be thrown into the Nile immediately after birth and killed. But when Moses was born, his mother hides him for as long as possible. Eventually, she makes a basket for him and floats him down the Nile, and he's found by the daughter of the Pharaoh. So Moses grows up in the home of the Pharaoh, knowing his people are oppressed and enslaved. One day, as a young man, he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating another Hebrew, and he kills the Egyptian. He's then forced to run away from Egypt. He marries, has a wife and children, and then he has this famous encounter with God. We read in book of Exodus chapter 3, Moses was looking after the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, priest of Midian. He led his flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the shape of a flame of fire, coming from the middle of a bush. Moses looked. There was the bush blazing, but it was not being burnt up. Moses was doing what he did every day, tending the sheep. However, on this day something quite different happens. God gets his attention with a burning bush. The surprising thing is not that a bush is on fire in the desert, but that it's not consumed. One way God seeks our attention is by putting something out of the ordinary into our everyday life. Perhaps if this week you see something different in your normal routine, it may mean that God wants you to stop and to pay attention. Well, that's what Moses does, does anyway. Moses decided... I must go and look at this strange sight, and see why the bush is not burnt. Now the Lord saw him go forward to look, and God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am, he answered. When Moses turns aside from his life and checks out the bush, God then speaks to him. We hear from God when we turn aside from our daily concerns and issues. When we put aside what we're doing and pay attention to the signs around us of God's presence and activity. So when, God, when Moses turns aside, God speaks to him and Moses responds that he is listening. Come no nearer, he said. Take off your shoes, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this Moses covered his face afraid to look at God. God claims the place where they are standing to be a holy ground because God is there. Notice it says that Moses hides his face. He's afraid to look at God. But later in his life, Moses will develop a close intimacy with God. He will talk to him as a friend. Often in the beginning of a faith journey, we fear God. We carry guilt or shame, or we're just not sure how we can trust him. If that is where you are with God right now, and maybe why you have stayed away from church, know that you can grow past that as Moses did. And the Lord said, 
I have seen the miserable state of my people in Egypt. I have heard their appeal to be free of their slave drivers. Yes, I am well aware of their sufferings. I mean to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and bring them out of that land to a land rich and broad, a land where milk and honey flow. These verses clear up some of our accusations or issues we might have with God when the wrong people are in charge. Often, we think God doesn't notice the pain and the affliction they're causing. God tells Moses he sees the pain caused by the Egyptians, but the lead Lord hears the cry of complaint that people have against the slave drivers. He knows their suffering. God hears the cries of suffering people at the hands of bad rulers, bad bosses and bad leaders. But then he tells Moses he has a plan to rescue his people from the slavery of Egypt. God's plan and will for his people is not Egyptian slavery, but freedom in a land flowing with milk and honey. God's will is not for his people to live confined in Egypt, but in a good and spacious land. He wants his people living with space and freedom and in abundance. As we've said before, don't confuse life not making sense with God not making sense. God's will for the Israelites was very different from what they were experiencing. But he had a plan to lead them to a much better place. Do not mistake the pain and suffering of your current situation for being God's will. God wants to lead you to a better place. So much like what we saw with Abraham, God has a plan, but he's looking for a partner. He's looking for a human being to work with him. When we read the scriptures again and again, we see that God continually looks for human partners. So God reveals this plan to Moses and then tells Moses it gets even better. Moses, here is the best part. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring your people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses, I want you to challenge the Pharaoh and bring my people out of Israel. You are my chosen instrument. I am raising you up as my leader. In the next two chapters of Exodus, chapters 4 and 5, there is a dialogue back and forth between God and Moses, in which Moses tells God that he is the wrong person, and God answers Moses' concern. Moses tell God, tells God, I am a nobody. God tells Moses he will be with him. Moses tells God he doesn't really know God well. God reveals himself and tells Moses that he will get to know him better by working with him. Moses tells God no one will believe him in his mission. God gives Moses signs he can show others to prove he isn't crazy. Moses tells God he just isn't com competent. God tells Moses he will give him the competence and give him the right people to help him lead. Finally, Moses says, I don't want to do it, and asks God to send someone else, and then God gets mad at Moses. God getting mad motivates Moses, so Moses finally just does what God asks him to do. And then throughout the rest of the book of Exodus, we see how God works with Moses and grows him into an incredible leader. 
we can find all kinds of lessons on leadership from Moses and learn about what makes bad leadership. So if you're someone who studies leadership, you might actually want to read the book of Exodus. But here are three takeaway lessons. One, God does see bad leadership. He's not ignoring it. If you are under some bad leadership right now, one that is oppressive, God wants you to lead you to a better place. He wants you in a place of abundance. He may be teaching you some other lessons of trust in the meantime, but God's desire for you is not that you suffer under poor leadership. Cry out to God and share your frustration. God hears it. Keep in conversation with God so that he can lead you out of your Egypt. Trust in God. Two, when you see the problems of bad leadership, God might be calling you to step up and lead. One of the reasons we have bad leadership is because good people don't step up to lead. It's definitely not the only reason, but it is a factor. The wrong people rush forward who want to be large and in charge and tell others what to do, while good people, God's people, have a false humility. You might have some of the same concerns as Moses. I'm not that smart. I'm not that talented. I'm not qualified. You're right. You're not. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He provides on-the-job training. If you hold on to the fact that you're not worthy or capable to lead on your own behalf on your own apart from God, God will use you in a major way. So maybe today God is calling you to step up into some kind of leadership when you see bad leaders. Third, whatever leadership you have now, you need God as well. Whether you are a leader, household, a classroom, a company, coach a team, whatever, you need God to lead well. Be the leaders others want to follow by humbly relying upon God. God is constantly evaluating us about how as people we use our authority. Those who use their power and authority will lose it in time, in God's timing. God calls on his people to step into places of authority and to lead well. So today I invite you to pray to God and ask God for the grace to use our power and our authority in a way that honours him.